Hi, friends. Welcome back for another episode of Breathe Darling, the podcast with your host, Emily Riggs. I am Emily Riggs, and I am so happy that you have returned to listen to another episode with us. Be sure to settle in, get cozy, take a deep breath, and let's jump in. We are back with another episode, and I could not be more excited to bring you this conversation today with my friend and someone I'm so grateful to now call family, Nikki Wendell. Nikki is currently the Director of Education for an Adolescent Treatment Center in Los Angeles and Orange County, California. She has a heart for helping struggling teens find their passion, motivation, and confidence. She's also currently in graduate school to become a licensed mental health counselor, so we have that in common. And she currently has her master's in educational counseling and an extensive background in coaching in both fitness and helping teens and adults build executive functioning skills through their one-on-one coaching. She is extremely passionate about helping individuals become their best selves through mind-body exploration and skill building. Nikki is truly one-of-a-kind human being, and I cannot believe I get to have her in my life. I hope that you all enjoy our conversation where we cover all things from mental health treatment, different kinds of therapy, the role of routines and movement in helping our mental health, and this idea of finding what works for you. I hope you love this episode and can't wait to hear your feedback on it. Let's jump in. Hi. Hi, how are you? Good. I'm really excited to be here and be a part of this podcast. I've been looking forward to it. I'm so excited to have you here. I feel like it needs to be said, and I'm sure I will say this in your intro as well, but you are sincerely one of my favorite people in the whole world. And I am just really, really excited to have you on. You were one of the people that I first thought of when I started the podcast. Like, who do I want to have on here to have conversations with to help people breathe a little easier? And you came to mind because every time I have a conversation with you, I feel like I can breathe a little easier. So, so well, I'm honored. I know every time we have conversations, I feel like we just connect in such a deep level and talk about all the things that we relate to. So I'm have no doubt the conversation will go that way today. I'm so excited. Okay. Why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about you? Who are you? Where are you? What is your life like? Um, I'm actually, I thought this was fitting. I have a chaos. I know people can't see it, but I have a chaos <laughs> coordinator mug. Um, oh because I feel like that's my life at times. It's just chaos coordinating. <laughs> But I, um, so right now I am the education director of a adolescent treatment center and I'm in school to become a therapist, a clinical mental health counselor specifically. Um, I have a really unique background because I did a lot of stuff with fitness and like performance uh, and tying mental health into fitness and mind body connection, which I can't wait to talk to you about. But right now I really am focusing on the education role in the clinical center so that I can eventually mold into a clinical role down the road, um, which I'm really excited about. And then in addition to that, I know um, you'll appreciate this, but I have a chocolate lab and I am newly married. So those are some life updates that are exciting. Um, Just to like tie this in for everyone listening, Nikki is married to my husband's cousin, and they just got married this past May, and 
had the honor of being there and just so obsessed with both of them and their chocolate lab, who is just the sweetest baby dog in the whole world. Yes. <laughs> just the best smushy ever. Um, okay, where are you doing all of this life? Where are you located in the world? Yeah, so right now I am in Los Angeles in Calif- uh, California. Mm-hmm. And my specific work is in Orange County, but we have locations in LA. And we get kids from all over because it's adolescent treatment. So we get kids from all over the world. Yeah. Okay. Give us an idea of like your trajectory to that space. Because again, like you said, you have this really varied background of a lot of training, both, you know, personal and professional in the fitness space, in um, mind-body connection. But then you've also got this really um, beautiful work that you're doing in coaching with executive functioning skills. And then you're over here in LA working with adolescents. So give us an idea of how did you get here? What, where did this start? Yeah. Um, gosh, when you say it out loud, I'm like, my hands in so many baskets, but I love yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, no, I love it. Uh, so how did I get here? I actually had, I was an athlete my whole life and I still do fitness, but definitely not at like a competitive level. Um, but I tore my ACL twice and Mm -hmm. I was a collegiate athlete. And so when I went through the first injury, I had like all this resilience. And to be honest, it was never a doubt in my mind that I was going to return to sport. I was a junior in high school when this happened. And I just remember being like, unstoppable, right? Like this injury was just a quick little bump in the road. I'm going to go back to playing sport. Um, I had a support system. It just was, it was hard. Don't get me wrong, but there was no question about it. And then I went to college, I was playing soccer and I tore my ACL again. Same one. Same one. Yep. And, um, you know, at that point, sport was already kind of changing. It's like my identity was already kind of at question because I always tied myself to being an athlete and I wasn't really enjoying soccer in college. So I started to kind of like go through the waves of what would I look like without soccer. Okay. And the second ACL tear really just destroyed me. Um, it was, there was no, I don't want to say there was no resilience, but there was really like no motivation to go back to sport. And then I, I was going through the motions to go back to sport, but I was just like depressed. I had no real identity tied to that anymore. It was a really confusing time. And so I started to really get interested into mental health and motivation and how it ties into sport and performance. And then that just kind of led me down like a path to study sports psychology, um, get my master's in positive coaching. And then here I am now working with adolescents in in a different realm, but it all really ties together. Yeah. Where does your passion for working with adolescents come from? I just, I feel like, you know, as a fellow person working in the mental health space, it always, there's always something unique to me about people who um, feel really passionate about working with, with young children and then, you know, adolescents, teens, where is that coming from? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, if you would have asked me if I was ever going to be working with adolescents and teens, especially like in an education realm, I would have never said yes. Um, but it kind of just like fell into my lap. I started doing social emotional coaching in New York City because I moved from New York to California, born and raised from New York. And I really saw how um, how much the family system played a, a part in teens' lives, how much of society plays a role in teens' life, and then also 
just how empowering it is to make an impact with these teens at this part of their development to then start to really change behaviors and patterns and help them understand who they are so that they hopefully, right, don't have to go through the severity of maybe what that onset mental health diagnosis looks like at an adolescent age for the rest of their life. If that yeah. Makes sense. yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. The treatment center where you work currently as the director of education, mm-hmm. um, is this pri- primarily mental health? Is it co-occurring like with substance use as well? It is co-occurring with substance use. So for people who, um, maybe are newer to, cause I know I was newer, newer to treatment centers. Um, mm-hmm. and we're, I'm in a residential treatment center. So that means the kids live with us and are full. It's basically like a, a hospital essentially, but a really, a really nice, right? Residential is where like the kids are living with us. They're getting um, family therapy. They're getting individual therapy. They come to school with me every day and then they, they sleep at our center, right? So that's different than, you know, going in and out of treatment every day. Uh, and we're getting really complex cases. I say that so that people understand that residential is like a step down from full hospitalization or maybe being sent away to like a wilderness program because it's complex trauma, right? So we do get primary mental health um, with co-occurring substance use. Okay. So your your facility is equipped to, to handle that. And I really appreciate you f- like kind of following up on that structure for people who maybe aren't familiar with the different levels of care that exist in mental health, you know, with there being obviously um, that full inpatient hospitalization residential, you've got a little bit more freedom mm-hmm. um, kind of to, to move about the cabin, if you will. Right. I was thinking mm-hmm. about like airplane. Right. Um, but it sounds like with, with the, the adolescents that you're working with, they're there for a longer period of time. Right. Mm-hmm. How long are you typically working with them? So we say 30 day minimum. Um, and I laugh because it's like, it's such a range, right? And this is this is the, the hard part about working with teens in treatment is you have such a little window to really make that change with them and to really like build that rapport and build yeah. that trust. And then they leave and sometimes it's out of your control. So the short answer is, most of our kids are with us from 30 to 60 days. Okay. Um, longer would be like 90 days, but that's kind of like the cap. Um, yeah. And then, you know, parents sometimes take their kids out. Sometimes they're just ready to go, right? That's the, the graduation. That's beautiful to see. And um, then sometimes insurance space runs out and we kind of oh. can't go any further. And so it really varies case to case. Um, and that the ideal window is I would say 45 to 60 days okay okay so that gives you enough time to really like you said build that rapport which we know that relationship is one of the single greatest predictors of success and and positive outcomes in mental health and you're a part of that treatment team right you're a part of ensuring that they their education continues and that they feel seen and heard in that space Mm-hmm. and teens can be ruthless <laughs> ruthless absolutely yes yeah oh but man. then it, it's so fun um you know like I think you you obviously know me a little bit more on a personal level but I can be really goofy and I can be really silly but I also can be like really firm and so yes. it's been one thing that I I know 
you and I have talked about this offline, but exploring boundaries and exploring um, like family systems and what like confidence looks like within teens has been really fascinating because then you really get to tap into like who they are and what's been hidden and then really do the work with them. And even though I'm not clinical right now, I work really close with the clinical team. So it's pretty powerful as a unit to have a kid supported in such a, a strong way before they go wherever they go next. Yeah, absolutely. And that's maybe one of the challenges of working in a, as a practitioner working in a either inpatient residential, um, I've got experience with both of those and, and then, you know, intensive outpatient as well. So lots of different levels of care. Um, but it is challenging, right, to, to get in there, build that relationship, make sure they're getting what they need. It's also incredibly rewarding to, to see very um, like up close and personal who they were when they came in, what they were struggling with, and then to watch that change happen over time. And kind of that before and after, right, when they do graduate, when it's time to go and who they've become as a result of both the care that they've received and the people um, who have helped provide that care, but also their own willingness, right? And and working with that population has its unique challenges, as does any other population. Um, But I can just imagine that you're really, really great at what you do. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that because some days, like you said, you know, you don't, I think one of the things about working with mental health, um, substance use, right, is you don't always get to see the other side. And so you really just have to kind of take the small wins and day by day, like little wins or um, little baby changes are such important things to hold on to, not only for yourself working in, in the field, but for the teens, right, or for any individual, because when you hold on to that, you know that then it's possible to make bigger changes and that they can happen and they can, there will be a bigger thing, right? When it, when it all comes together. And so, yeah, it, it is really rewarding some days and sometimes it's really, really challenging. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I so appreciate you alluding to this idea of perspective. It's been coming up a lot in my own life is just like, what what is our perspective on any given situation? And as you said, looking for those small wins, like if our perspective every day is just like, what's challenging, what's rubbing us the wrong way, where's the tension is like, we're going to miss the small wins, right? We're going to miss those opportunities in your work, in my work for connection, right? For um, seeing where growth is happening, seeing where progress is being made. Not that life is just about progress, right? But our clients or patients want to feel like something's changing, like their investment is is paying off, whether it's time, finances, time away from their family, right? In your in your situation. And um yeah, I can just I really resonate with that idea of um the small win, right? Just and and as a clinician, right, needing to sit with that as well because we need those just as much to to keep going. Yeah. And I one thing I want to piggyback off of is this concept of progress and perspective. And I love that you just said it's not all about progress or I shouldn't say it's not all about progress. It's not all about success maybe. And it's not all about things you can measure because that's one of the biggest things I've learned working with teens in education specifically, because so 
essentially a lot of my work is really figuring out like where the system or why the system was failing when they were in a regular education system. Okay. And, and a lot of the times, you know, teachers just, it, it's a truancy thing, right? Or they're acting out in class. So they're deviant, right? Mm -hmm. And then they come to me and they're not deviant, right? Like they have severe learning disabilities that when I undiagnosed and once you uncover some of that, right? You realize that the acting out or the deviant behavior was because of insecurity, right? Or lack of confidence or just lack of knowing like this, this understanding that, oh, I haven't been able to read and write for so long because maybe I have dyslexia, right? And I say that because sometimes we can't even get to the progress or we can't even get to the, these, you know, long-term successes because really we just have to educate and, and bring some knowledge in first. And I think that's with anything in life, not just teens and education, right? But like, sometimes we can't even get to the small wins because we need to know what's going on first. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We got to rewind the tape a little bit and, mm -hmm. and that, it goes, like you said, across the board with, with kids, adolescents, adults, you know, there's always a, a story behind it. Right. I, I come from a, a trauma informed background and one of my mentors always says there's meaning behind the behavior. Right. And totally if you're looking at it from that lens, from that perspective, and it, it, you know, goes along with that idea of that the difference between, I know Oprah and Dr. Bruce Perry made this, this concept very um, accessible and, and well-known, but the difference between what's wrong with you and what happened to you, right. Yeah. And making that shift, um, in not just how we see people in clinical settings, but like how we see each other as human beings, right? And mm -hmm. and being able to relate to each other just on a, a completely different level when there's that kind of compassion, right? And I just, I'm hearing that you have this really amazing opportunity to see them, right? In the environment that you're in and have this a whole new perspective on okay, what is the missing link here? Because I, I know that under that behavior, under that, uh, what we might call bad behavior is this kid who I know is really fun and quirky and, and has really varied interests, just all these wonderful things, but there's something that we've missed along the way. And it sounds like you just have this, this really great opportunity to identify what was missed and then help to kind of like reset for a new path forward. I mean, yeah, that's the goal in, in, you know, them working with us and look, sometimes it doesn't happen, of course. Right. But sure. when, it, when it does, it is so beautiful. And the challenge is, and I, I'm sure you can relate to this is sometimes taking like the tools we teach others and then practicing in our own lives right <laughs> wait you mean I need to use those too <laughs> right like um well I was I was just thinking back you were talking about you know executive functioning skills and yeah I would you know I do a lot of that is either is built into my day-to-day -day with the kids but also I just do like some private work of one-on-one -on -one coaching and helping for example it could be like helping teens organize college applications right and nice. work through that and I was laughing because I was teaching them to use the Google calendar and do all these task things. And then here I am with you signing on to the Zoom. And I'm like, I don't use Google calendar. I don't even know how to get it. Right. And I, 
it is so funny though because on one side it is really hard to sometimes really put in the things that you are teaching for your own life and then on the other side it's all about figuring out what works for you because it really doesn't work for everyone else yes yeah yes yes and amen to all of that because it's so it's so funny that you said that out loud because I feel like if I had to boil down my work as a therapist and the concept that I am communicating to clients over and over and over and over again is find what works for you. Right. There's, there's so much mental health information on there. You know, I know we're both on Instagram in our, in a professional sense, right. For coaching, for therapy. And there's just so much information out there that even as a clinician, it feels really overwhelming. Right. So how do, how does the lay person feel who isn't clinically trained and who's getting all this information about skills, try this, this, if you have these five things, you must have ADHD, right? Like five signs that you have complex trauma, you know what I mean? And it's just so much overwhelming information, which is why I'm just so in love with what you do in the coaching, because you're able to make that really tailored plan uh, that meets their needs, that helps them find what works for them. And I just love the reflection too for yourself of, okay, now how do I find what works for me? <laughs> yeah. And, and that's the thing, right? Like it's exactly what you said. It's so much trial and error. And I think it's also a phase of life, right? So it might not, you know, when I, when I work with my teens, I'm like, you guys are going through a massive change, right? A stage of development right now is is huge, right? There's so much change going on. You have like parents telling what you what to do and you don't want to listen. You have your yourself, you're trying to figure out how to listen to yourself and find autonomy, but that's also complex. So just managing like small tasks, you know, one of our sessions, it might work to use the Google calendar. Then next week they might come to me and be like, I, I haven't checked that since we got on together, right? And then it's like, okay, let's figure out how to maybe find a new system. Right. And I know I do that for myself because, you know, what works for me definitely does not work for everyone else. But the one thing that I think will work for everyone is bringing awareness to what is working and what is not working. So you can actually actively change it and be open to the change. Because I think sometimes we're like put in this box of, I know I bought a planner when I started my job and I was like, I need to have this like adult planner and write in it. <laughs> and it worked for a minute. And then I realized I don't, I don't operate that way, right? I use different tools to put some skills into place so that I actually stay organized and that I function the way I do. And it works for me. Yeah. Planner might work for someone else. Yeah, yeah. I love all of the permission that's in that, right? To find what works for you in every area of life, right? That, okay, if it's not what everybody else is doing, okay, figure something else out. And a lot of it is right, trial and error, right? Of like, okay, I'm going to try this. I'm going to buy the planner because it seems to work for a lot of people. Great. Good for them. I'm so happy for them. And I'm going to try it out for a couple weeks, a month. Okay. It's not working for me. So I, instead of feeling defeated, discouraged, let down, how do we like pivot? How do we shift and find something else that works for us in your experience what does that look like like with the people that you're coaching and and working with like how do you keep moving forward when you feel defeated 
or frustrated. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest, right? It's hard. <laughs> like, I think that's the big thing is just, it's not easy sometimes to be open to the change and then also realize something's not working because in life, it's easier to just maybe stay complacent with something, right? So the first step I think is realizing that it's going to be a little bit hard. Um, but then for, at least for the teens I work with, and I've worked with adults too, um, it's really just giving it enough time to try it before just saying it doesn't work, right? Yeah. So, like, you know, um, I'm going to give like a really small example, right? If I've seen this everywhere, right? With like leaving the phone out of the room when you go to bed. Yeah. Right. And I say that because I've had teens try it. I've had adults try it. And some it's worked for and some it's not. But it can't be like you did it one night and then all of a sudden that you hated it. And then the next day you're like, phone's back in the room. Right. Like it has to be intentional with practice. So my first thing is if we tried it for a little bit and it's not working. Okay. I hear that. Then coaching someone through why didn't it work? right? Like if the written planner isn't working, is it because you don't bring the planner with you every place, right? Sure. Yeah. Is it like I don't remember to write in it. Um, or I only always have my cell phone with me. So my planner just like goes by the wayside. And then once you can identify what it is you're actually like forgetting to do or why it's not working, then we could put another tool in place that maybe doesn't have that element. Yeah. Yeah. I think what's so, so different there in working in, with a coach, with a therapist is you have that outside perspective of somebody who's able to help break it down for you of, oh, not for you, with you of what didn't work here instead of, which I know I'm really prone to, I'm just going to throw my hands up. Never mind, Right forget about it. It was because it was hard. It was uncomfortable. I didn't like it. Right. It, it felt different. Yes, of course. Right. All of those things that all make sense. But even just talking this out with you, it's like, ah, oh, man. Okay. Well, why didn't it work? Okay. Maybe because I wasn't consistent. Okay. Maybe because I need to acknowledge first and foremost, as you just said, it's going to be hard. Well, I don't want it to be hard, but if I at least work on accepting that it will be hard. Okay. I've kind of like set myself up for a little bit more success. Yeah. That all is, that's it, right? Is the setting yourself up to understand like it's a process Mm -hmm. and right. Um, something that just stood out to me when you were talking about that was, uh, I had a mentor back in, in New York who we did a lot of coaching on like mind body connection. And one thing that we really talked about was like what inspires change or how do you work with someone to actually understand if they're even in a space to change, right? On like a really micro level or a macro level. And there were four components. I think it was four. So bear with me here, but it was um, what's the urgency level for the change? What's the desire for the change? What's the uncomfortable or comfortable rating for the change? And then what's the realistic you know, nature of the change and, you know, operating off of those four categories. If I go to you and I'm like, I really want to go to work out every day at 5am, but my desire is really low. My urgency is really low. 
the realistic ability of me getting to a gym or something at that time is really low. Um, and I think it was what the fourth one? Oh, comfortable. If it was really uncomfortable, if those all are scored really low, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, okay. I feel like this is like a perfect segue into this other very important side of you. I know that I, I don't like to think of us as like these like siloed off interests. I mean, I think you're a very integrated person in what you um, do, how you show up in the world. But this this other side of your interest where it's, you know, mind body connection, fitness. I mean, you you also do some like personal training coaching and you're certified in amazing things. Um, when it comes to trying to make a change, regardless of what it is, right? How do we kind of make that shift? Like if all those scores are low, those, those four things, like maybe I say high level, yes, I absolutely want to, you know, be taking care of my body and be more intentional about movement, but my urgency is low, my desire is low, right? How do we work to even shift one of those things. Like if you were just trying to help somebody work through that, how would you help them? Each case I think requires a different, is gonna require different needs, but exactly what you just said is you pick the one that's the lowest, okay. right? And then you would work ideally on really trying to build that. And I just like to say it because it's so true. Like it's not going to happen overnight, right? But at least if you know, hey, like um, like your desire is really low right now. So how do we build this desire? And then we talk through it, right? Maybe your desire to move your body, right, is so low right now because when you think of fitness, you think of, and I'm using fitness as an example, mm -hmm. But when you think of fitness, you think of going to like a class with everyone and doing this intense boot camp, and that just like plummets the desire. Okay. Maybe if we reframe it to what if you just go for like a 10 minute walk? Mm -hmm. Then mm -hmm. the desire goes up a little bit because the expectation shifts a little bit. We're starting at a different level. Maybe we realize that the desire is so low because paired with like uncomfortable, there's not, you don't like working out with people, right? I think once we start to isolate why the desire is so low, we can start to build it. Mm. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think it also alludes to that idea of like, find what works for you, mm -hmm. right? If everyone you know is going to group fitness classes and you're like, that sounds terrible. I hate that idea. It's not gonna work for you, right? So finding what works, finding what, helps to, for example, even increase one of those things, like the desire, right? Mm -hmm. It's going, you're going to see a shift. Right? Sure. Because then like just the one element of the motivation is going to go up. And a lot of that ties into listening to your, I mean, we can go on a ramble with this because I'm studying CBT right now in school. So I'm like thoughts, body, thoughts. Body. <laughs> yeah. Um, sure. But I think, you know, a lot of it really is listening to what your mind is saying and like how your body's reacting to that. Because, you know, if I'm like, Emily, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go to that gym at 5am, but I'm like tense and I feel anxious thinking about that, then something's out of alignment, right? So I'm a firm believer and a lot of my work with 
clients, like in the personal training and even in my executive functioning is really listening to this mind and body connection, because to me, they are so important to connect. And like when they're not aligned, I feel like it's really hard to be at a high level of functioning, or at least at your highest level of functioning. So I say that all because building motivation is also really being in tune with what your thoughts are saying, right? Like, how can you be aware of them? And then what is your body reacting to these thoughts and reactions to body are so different, but you know, it can be tensing your jaw. It can be heart racing. It could be sweating, right? It can be all these things that you might not even know are happening because of an emotion tied to something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So Nikki's describing that idea of, of cognitive behavioral therapy, right? That there's a, a situation that triggers a thought and then triggers an emotion or a bodily sensation because our emotions are not disconnected from our bodies. We experience them in our bodies, hence the mind-body connection conversation, <laughs> um, that we experience those in our bodies. And then from there, it leads to some kind of action, right? And so the thought is something that we were just, you know, talking about, right? The thought is, okay, uh, I was invited to this group fitness class. Okay. The thought is, okay, I should go to this class. But then the emotion is, as you said, anxiety, right? Or anger, right? Uh, Or frustration. And so then that's going to change our behavior. So this idea that you're alluding to is, you know, learning to acknowledge and work with our thoughts, right? And listen to our bodies. And, you know, the, I think the biggest tool too is when you start to feel something or you start to have like the thought come up, take a second. And I love, I'm going to tie it right into your podcast, right? Of of breathing, because if you take a moment and you breathe and you are intentional about why did this thought come up or why is my body experiencing this? then you actually are starting the path of activating some sort of change because you have the awareness to do so, right? And just having the awareness of it is so, so powerful. So that tool of, you know, if if you're sitting there and you want to do something, but your mind and your body are telling you something else, then take a second and breathe into it because there's probably something else going on there. And just sitting and breathing for a second can give you the insight as to maybe what it is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I love that idea, right, of like pause, breathe, and breathe into it. Um, there's so, so many different kinds of therapy out there in the world, but one that I have been really loving is acceptance and commitment therapy or ACT. And um, it's all about this idea of like turning toward uncomfortable emotions, thoughts, situations, right? And maybe not even just like jumping in with it, but just starting to turn toward it as opposed to what so many of us are used to either with uh, negative thoughts or what we might think of as like negative sensations in the body or negative emotions, which I'm one of those cookie therapists that doesn't necessarily think there's any good or bad emotions. They're just all really good information. Um, But like learning to turn toward those things and learn from them right? Because that's a signal from the body that's trying to get our attention, right? So if it's discomfort, if it's anxiety, if it's frustration, if it's hesitation, 
right? Okay, can we turn toward that? Can, as Nikki's saying, breathe into it and learn something from it. What is what is that information trying to tell us? And I think that's that's that mind body connection, right? Mm-hmm. You just that was the perfect explanation of it. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. exact exactly that. And I love. I actually don't know much about um that type of therapy that you were just talking about. So can I ask you a question? <laughs> oh, sure. Sure. If I, I hope I can answer. Uh, I just want to know, like, what is your experience with clients that you put this into practice with been like, and really that's a hard thing to do is really run towards a fear and face it, you know, that's yeah. not actually practice. Yeah. So I would say I really work to start small. Um, most of the in private practice, I, I, uh, specialize in women and women who've experienced trauma, grief, loss, um, and life transitions. And so most of my clients have experienced some kind of trauma, if not, um, complex trauma. And I'm not going to say, okay, let's turn toward the biggest, scariest, most traumatizing memory you have. We're not starting there, right? If anything, that's so anti my approach, I can't even begin to say, Um, especially when it comes to my training in EMDR, like we're very careful, we're very um, mindful of what it looks like to turn toward. So for me, it might might be starting small with a client who, um, you know, for example, is feeling a lot of shame around, um, a recent parenting issue, right? Maybe they, they took something out on their kids inappropriately. Like they had a stress from work and then their kid comes and asks for a snack and they snap at their child. And they're like, that's not how I want to be with my kid. I, I, I want to show up with them in a really positive and authentic way. And so we might just to start to turn towards some of that shame or some of that frustration that they have, as opposed to what so many people do, which is that feels quote unquote bad. I don't want to feel it. So I'm just going to run away from it. And the therapeutic orientation that I have been trained in is that when we do that, when we ignore the emotion, when we ignore the cue from our bodies, it doesn't go away. It compounds. Right. So I liken it to like the pressure that builds like with a volcano, like we're just kind of like shoving it down, shoving it down and it will eventually erupt. Right. Oftentimes at really um, inconvenient, inappropriate times and situations. And we have very little control over that because the pressure has built so much over time. And so when I talk to with my clients and work with them, it's sort of just like a pause. Like, hey, can we just like notice what's coming up for you as you talk about that? Can we notice what's what you're feeling in your body? I'm really big on bringing that connection um, because I think we were uh, raised. I'm not that much older than you, Nikki, but I feel like we were raised in in a culture in a society that's like very disembodied. Um, and whether it's in the exercise and fitness space, whether it's in just like our mental health, like we've, we've kind of separated our brain from our bodies. Right. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. And, and so I am just like encouraging, okay, what are you experiencing in your body? Okay. Well, my chest feels tight. So like I have a headache. Okay. Can we just like sit with that? And can we just take some deep breaths? Like very much like breathing into it. Right. Can we just notice what else might be coming up for you? 
yeah, I feel really sad. I feel sad that I yelled at my kid. Okay. So under there was some sadness. Okay. Look, let's keep sitting with that. Right. And creating a lot of really good space for that. Just breaking in here with an ad from our sponsor who, if we're honest, they've sponsored every single one of our episodes so far. And that's my company, Emily Riggs Therapy and Wellness. As a therapist, I am passionate about women feeling empowered to make changes in their lives that help them hope, heal, and live wholeheartedly. As a therapist specializing in grief, trauma, and women's issues, I work with a variety of therapeutic models to come alongside my clients on their unique journeys. I'm also excited to begin offering wellness experiences and consultation for small groups, organizations, and businesses. The idea behind this is to bring different experiences, including yoga, meditation, and coping skills to your small group to help you and those around you get out of their heads and back into their bodies, experiencing their emotions, learning to manage stress, and challenging themselves to grow, change, and flourish. I know that starting something like this can feel overwhelming and maybe even a little scary. I've been there too. But I truly believe that this is the solution to helping us manage stress and make change that is actually long-lasting. If you're interested in getting started, reach out to me at emilyriggstherapy at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing from you. In the meantime, back to our episode. That's kind of how I start to approach it with clients when it comes to learning to like sit with and attune really it's all about attunement right like attuning to the body attuning to sensations that kind of thing it, it's so interesting because it sounds so like it, it's not simple but it sounds so simple right just kind of like connecting those two and i i love what you said about this disembodiment because i do think that we as a culture so much think of mental health and we think of up here mm-hmm. right we think right. Of yeah. the the and the thoughts and of course that's that's valid but I do at least from and it sounds like we're on the same page here with practice with mental health and treatment and all the work that I do want to continue to do especially when I become a therapist I feel like you can't really treat them separately um, I think they need to be treated together and by that I mean the mind and the body so I love every, everything that you just explained with your, that practice because it is, it's every day we, we experience these things that, you know, may trigger us a little bit or give us anxiety or maybe make us feel excited, right? And it's not just existent in our thoughts. It's also comes out in our body. And um, a lot of that for me came from studying athletes, understanding my own body as an athlete, and then, you know, working on that performance component because they're so aligned. Yeah. Can you tell us more about that? Cause I, I would just love to hear more about what, how you see this translating into that space, right? It feels like kind of, kind of niche. Um, but I, I think it's so important, the support that's provided to athletes in bridging that divide again, that most of us, are, have been raised with, have been encouraged to do like that they're separate. Right. So give, give us an idea. What does that look like? Sure. So I think about, you know, um, I, I really want to go back into working specifically with athletes one day. That's yeah. the goal. Um, 
So I say that because I do, I think it's so important. Like when you're, when you're thinking about performing at anything, right. Whether it's your job, whether it's fitness, if you are going into a game, right. Or even a meeting, I'll do both. So people can kind of relate to both and you go in and you had a really bad morning, right. You like spilled your coffee in the morning. You're all scrambled. You put on a shirt and all of a sudden you realize you sweat through the shirt already. Right. Or you got something on your Jersey and now you step into your game or your meeting. And all you can think about is how bad your morning went, how stressed you are because the morning now is bad and you're all kind of like discombobulated, right? Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you play terrible, right? Or the meeting goes horribly. Mm-hmm. And I say that because all of the things that led into that game or that that thing that really needed performance, right? That meeting what is tied together. So if you aren't intentional about I call it game days, right? But really every day is game day about how you go into, you know, your something that you need performance in, then you aren't really being intentional about what you want the outcome to be, right? Mm -hmm. And so that sounds like a complex way of saying what it looks like with performance, I think, is really having someone understand what what any anxieties about the sport may be or what's going on with their thoughts related to the sport and then how their body is showing up and what they can do to intentionally practice, you know, performing better or also feeling more confident in going into it. So visualization is a huge one. Love that. Yeah. And I actually did visualization for the first time when I was, I wasn't even in college yet. I think I just was playing soccer and they brought in a sports psychologist and I will never forget that experience. Right. Like we were sitting there, we're in high school. We're like, who is this person? (laughs) What What are we doing here? Um, But I remember we sat down and we first had to write down, you know, like where we feel most, most confident on the field and where we feel a little bit more insecure on the field. And and what that meant for me for soccer was like, do I feel confident when I am in the defender role? Do I feel good in practice, right? Just being aware. And then we did some visualization and the power that I felt when I was, I was asked to visualize me and my best, my best game ever, my favorite moment in soccer, mm. right? And I ha- I was able, not everyone can do this, right? It takes practice, but I was, for some reason I was able to tap into this moment of it was just a really great play and I remembered it and I remember the feeling tied to it and I remembered you know um the reaction from other people and I just remembered all of those things and in that moment I my chest kind of opened up right I felt lighter and I was able to hold on to that moment when I went back into situations on the field and so for me that was one tool that if I really felt like all the mind and the body were not connected or they were connected in a way that was not being helpful for me. I was able to tap into that tool of visualization mm-hmm. or breath work yeah. to really connect it and then bring me back into a moment that made me feel really confident. Yes. Oh, I love that example, right? Because it it perfectly demonstrates why we need to remember how it felt in our bodies and make the connection with the memory to like strengthen it. Right. And 
how just important it is to like integrate those two things in order to fully visualize it as if you're re-experiencing it, right? To like, almost like again, strengthen or solidify that experience in us. And for you, right, to kind of increase that confidence. Like, hey, I have performed under pressure and it has had this incredibly positive outcome. And I can remember and I can connect to how it felt in my body to make that play, right? Like how it felt to um, feel celebrated, to feel proud of myself, right? But it's, it's one thing to like remember it in our heads, right? To like think through and visualize the memory, but it's another, as you were saying, to bring the body back into that and to remember, oh, my heart was pounding out of my chest. I could have screamed because I was so happy, right? Like I felt like energy coursing through my veins, you know, all of those things to help make it that much more real and able to tap into that sensation for the future. Yeah. And the, I think the hard part is, is realizing that what you just said of you have done it before, right? That's so hard to remember in a stressful moment of, or something that you're fearful of. And sometimes you haven't done it before, but maybe you've done something like it before, right? Or you've gone through something really challenging that can maybe give you a little bit of confidence to know that you can also conquer this thing that is too challenging, right? So with, with athletes, especially the pressure and, um, I think, that physicality that it takes on your body, it is really important to find something that also brings you into center, right? So mm-hmm. routine is a big thing. I know for me, like I am, I I laugh because I am the chaos coordinator in a lot of ways, but <laughs> I do have my routine and that stemmed from sports, like, mm-hmm. and it's just carried into my- Oh, I've stayed with you. I've seen this routine in action. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's what helps ground me though, because, mm-hmm. you know, I always joke with my kids at work. I'm like, guys, if I don't get my morning workout in in the morning and some coffee, you don't want to talk to me, yeah. right? Like, yeah. But I have my routine, right? I like, I walk the dog, I work out, I have coffee, and then I'm able to show up the way I want to show up. And that's the same thing with sports and fitness or- you know, corp and anything really, because then you're setting the intention of being your best player that day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love that. I recently heard, and I honestly can't remember where I heard it, but this idea that a return to routines is a sign of healing. Um, and I love that you have like really anchored this idea of routine as grounding, as centering. Um, because I, I truly believe that, right. When we're able to return to, and I'm even talking like bare minimum care of self, right? Mm-hmm. Like when I'm able to return to a routine of, okay, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to take my medication. I'm going to brush my teeth. I'm going to, um, put on clothes that feel good on my body. I'm going to move my body, right? Like all of those steps, um, our return to routine and then, and then ultimately healing because when we're disintegrated, when we are dysregulated, a lot of that falls away. That routine falls away. Right. So easy to let it fall away too. Right. So easy. I'm sitting here in a space right now of like so much of my routine has fallen away and I feel it. Like I feel 
the dysregulation in myself and working on an, my own like personal reset of, of all routines in my life just to kind of help get myself back into a, a good spot where I feel centered, where I feel grounded, right? And it's giving yourself grace to do oh, that too. Because really. I think it's so hard. Like the nature too is that life is chaotic. Things change, yeah. right? And so your routine is going to change. I know like, you know, for me, working out looks so different now than it used to. Mm-hmm. And it's been hard to give myself grace of, right? Like sometimes it's only 30 minutes, right? Sometimes it's just the Peloton ride and no weights, right? Whatever it may be. But I think the grace in finding like, okay, if I don't feel good from the routine that I'm doing, then that means I need to change it. But if I feel good from doing it, but it just looks a little bit different, it's also okay. Yeah. And that I feel like lends itself to that idea too, Nikki, of like different seasons of life. We're going to need different routines and what we're able to give, right? Because you work full time, you're in school, you are, as, as we said, you got your hands in so many baskets, right? And something inevitably, because they're, despite all that, there's still only 24 hours in the day, right? That in order to still show up in this thing, it's going to have to look different. I'm going to have to find what works for me in this season. It doesn't mean it will always look this way. When you're out of school and you have that time back, ah, right? Like, oh my gosh, that I like them. I know you're so ready, but I am so ready, ready. (laughs) Uh, but you know, I, it is, it is true. And the one thing I will say that is being, it's really cool to be a student Mm. in the mental health space right now, while I'm also working in it, you really get to see like all these different little, um, all these different theories, all these different tools, all these different, um, approaches really play out. And then I also as a student learning and just a human adapting, get to play with all these different things and see what they look like in real life. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I think, I think you're so right that there, there is a ton of benefit to being a student of mental health. It right now, not only in the setting that you're in, right. Cause you're getting that real world right in time experience, but just everything that we're learning, like there's so much information being pumped out into the world right now about mental health and so much new research. Like we know more about the brain than we ever have before. And, um, I I could just like gobble all that information up day after day after day. But I just feel like you're in school at a really cool and pivotal time to where you're going to be able to just like graduate and just run with this in a really beautiful way. Sure hope so. (laughs) Sure hope so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Nikki, with all of your work, um, with athletes, with just, just people in general, I am big on the reclaiming of movement for mental health, right? I think movement, um, and I even like very intentionally call it movement because I think for many people, um, who were raised in, you know, diet culture and, um, you know, these different eras of what health looks like, um, health or, or movement for fitness versus movement for mental health. They feel like they've been like at odds with each other for a long time. And again, I see a shift in the fitness space of like 
understanding and integrating the benefits of mental health. But if you were to like, just encouraging somebody to get moving for their mental health, where would you encourage them to start and and why? Like, what would the benefits be? Yeah, that's a great question. I actually just had this um, really interesting conversation with my brother about this because mm-hmm. um, he owns a gym and he's also an athlete. And so, you know, so much of our work overlaps because yeah. he gets these clients who come in and they have all the struggles that we just talked about, right? And if they're stepping into the gym for the first time and it's really hard to just get started. Um, so I think my, my first thing would say would be this concept of movement. It really looks so different for every single person. And so knowing that if you're just starting fitness, right. For, and you want to maybe, maybe you're dealing with anxiety, Mm -hmm. right. And you really want to start to move your body to maybe take a little bit of that chest heaviness off right Mm -hmm. because moving the body releases endorphins right it it releases something that just makes you breathe a little bit easier sometimes well maybe not figuratively if you're panting you know what I mean um uh I think it's knowing also like that just like anything you don't just jump in right you find what works for you first and then slowly start to integrate so if you've never moved before but you want to start to see the benefits go for a walk for 10 minutes, walk your dog or go for a morning walk every morning and start to increase the time, right? Start with 10 minutes, then go to 15 minutes. Then maybe, maybe you feel like jogging one day and you start to jog for 10 minutes, then 15 minutes and it starts to build, right? And then from there, if you start to feel the benefits, maybe you want to get on a Peloton or maybe you want to go to a group class, right? If you're someone who struggles with social anxiety, don't just throw yourself into a, a fitness class because you might then be completely turned off from movement and that does the opposite effect, right? So I think it's really just knowing like what you need. If you are feeling lonely and you're feeling maybe a little depressed and you want that social interaction, going to a group class, right? Like for an entry level or just to get started might be the best thing for you. Mm-hmm. So I guess my my advice, I shouldn't say even advice, but my recommendation would really be what, do, what are you trying to gain from the movement? And everyone can gain something, right? And then see what it feels like to start to do different things. And it might not feel really good at first, right? But realize how you feel throughout the day, what changes happen. And then maybe you can start to increase the time or maybe you increase the intensity. And then as it starts to become more habitual, you will start to see the differences. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. You just encourage like a lot of mind body connection, right? Like noticing how you're feeling, notice, notice how your thoughts are shifting, notice how your body feels differently, right? If you are taking that morning walk or an evening walk or a midday walk, I'm a big proponent of the midday walk just to get away from my screens and to breathe some fresh air. And it does, I see, I feel the difference in terms of less anxiety, less stress, like my the tension in my shoulders kind of melts away. And I just feel like I can approach the space with new perspective. Right. And so I, I love that idea of, again, just the, the theme is the find what works for you. And, um, again, it takes a lot, some trial and error, but not feeling defeated as a result, like knowing that there are infinite number of options to 
really address whatever kind of movement you're looking to integrate, right? Yeah, and and on that note too, like, you know, I'm so conscious working with adolescents who, you know, have that complex trauma and um, a lot of eating disorder struggles, yeah. right? And, yeah. Or even just disordered eating, especially in young females, unfortunately. And so knowing like, no, I would never recommend right going into intense workouts five days a week if you're struggling with yeah eating right or or body struggles right and so that's where I really like hone into movement can be so um so many different things it could be going for a bike ride right and also I think one thing I'm a big proponent of just like someone goes and gets a therapist right who needs guidance seek some professional help within the movement world if you need some help, right? There's people who specialize, right, with um, all different things. It's not just maybe even being a personal trainer, but sometimes physical therapy can be really helpful on your body. Absolutely, yeah. I think utilizing those tools, if if they're available, I think is really, really beneficial. Yeah, I so appreciate that you touched on that because, you know, I'm always very careful that this is not necessarily like mental health advice or, you know, um, you know, this isn't a substitute for mental health care. And the other factor here is anytime we talk about, you know, movement or fitness, um, you know, we really do want to offer that caveat related to, you know, the disordered eating, um, and, and, you know, even formal diagnosis of, of eating disorders, um, and for individuals who may be struggling with their body image, right. And looking at movement differently, right. Again, reframing, reorienting to, okay, movement isn't just about, or it doesn't have to be about changing how my body looks, right. It can be about feeling differently, feeling less anxious, feeling less depressed, having more energy, right? Feeling stronger, feeling more capable. And all of those things can be benefits of, of movement, of just getting out and moving our bodies. And it doesn't have to be in a way that is aggressive or, um, that ignores our pain signals, right? (laughs) I, I know we grew up right under that banner of no pain, no gain, right? Um, and I, I would say, you know, what is just some slow mindful movement look like? I'm a registered yoga teacher. So I'm always encouraging like, Hey, check out some yoga and no, not hot yoga, not goat yoga, not anything crazy, (laughs) you know, just, just some nice, slow, mindful movement to just notice how it feels to move your body in the way that, that it generally would like to be moved, right? And responding to those sensations that come up as a result. Yeah, everything that you just said is so, so important, <clears throat> especially for young adults, because mm-hmm. it, it doesn't like, it just doesn't have to be based on, you know, you don't have to just do movement or fitness or um, a sport even because you're looking for a specific outcome tied to right a physical nature, um, so much of it can be beneficial on how you feel, how you show up. Right. And so I think that's beautifully said of just pay attention to how whatever movement you start to incorporate makes you feel, because if it feels good then it's something you should intentionally keep doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. I love that. 
Okay, girl, you ready to do some slow burn questions? Yes, this has been so good. Such a good conversation. Okay, yes, yeah. I'm just so grateful for you. I'm so grateful for this conversation. All right, first question. What's one unexpected way you've changed over the last several years? I have become way more in tune to, um, I think, let me, let me restart this. this is, I, I read the slow burn, but like, I, I know what I want to say. And then you're good. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So to answer that question, I've become way more invested in mental health and my job and growing within this field because of how passionate I am. And so I think some, some ways that I've changed is I've really dove into this career path, um, like with school, with my job, and I've just been really enjoying learning with it. Mm -hmm. And it surprises me sometimes too, because in like New York, I was working all these different jobs and I wasn't so, fitness was really my priority. I wasn't really like career focused. And so I've shifted now because I do just see how important this work is and I really, really love it. And so that's been a big change for me of shifting priorities and I'm really, I'm grateful for it because it's led to some really incredible growth. Yeah, absolutely. And just sounds like bringing together two of your passions, right? Yeah. Really cool way. What's been a surprising source of joy in your current season? I don't know if it's necessarily surprising, but going on hikes or adventures with my husband and my two-year-old chocolate lab is like a sure way to just bring joy into the day, into the weekend, into the week. Um, We're fortunate in California where there's a lot of fun hikes, but in the water and stuff, it's the best. Yes, yes. And movement, right? You just... (laughs) <laughs> movement leading to joy being outside I love it I love it yeah all the things I love it okay what's helping you breathe a little easier these days so there's two things that come to mind um the first thing has been consistent throughout my entire life and that is movement um I I really I really value work working out for me and again it looks different every day but it does help me breathe easier especially if work is really you know anxious is making me feel anxious that day or if school is overwhelming it's my reset to just give me a minute and go and turn off get away from my phone get away from all the things and just really be present so that's been something consistent that really helps me breathe easier and then on a completely different note um, I'm not really outcome driven, uh, sometimes, right. Obviously everyone is, but I think knowing that school, um, there is an, an end in sight. Um, yes. I've been in grad school for most of my life. So I'm like, I'm ready to be done. Um, and that's making me feel like I could breathe a little easier is that the hard work is going to pay off and just keeping that end in sight is really nice. You're so close. When is it next? year it's next september is graduation september oh my gosh we're gonna throw the biggest party oh my god i'm gonna just lay down for days (laughs) (laughs) and you have you've been in school i mean i don't know if you guys picked up on this but nikki has an undergraduate degree 
she has a first master's and because she's a glutton for punishment she's getting a second master's after this one's done though but yeah that's those are been two and they can't go hand in hand right like the feeling of overwhelmed and not maybe being able to see the end in sight I go into the working out and it's so it's a really nice cycle just to keep me breathing a little bit easier on days where it's harder I love it I absolutely love it. I am so grateful that you came on here and just shared. I feel like our conversation started one place, ended one place, but like covered so much ground. And just thank you for sharing from your experience and your wisdom, right? Because you not only have like worked in this space, um, whether it's with the adolescents, with athletes, but you clearly have been an adolescent and have been an athlete and you have overcome a lot of hardship, um, as you know, throughout that time and, you know, made a lot of hard decisions for yourself and for your future. And it's all just so beautiful and, and really paying off in a lot of awesome ways. Well, thank you. I really, I had a lot of fun as always. Our conversations are always inspiring and they get me thinking on new things. So thank you for having me. And, um, I am really excited to keep continuing to support Breathe, darling. You're the best. Seriously. So great. Hey, friends. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of Breathe, Darling, the podcast. It is our joy to bring these episodes to you, and we hope that you walk away feeling more connected, more grounded, and like you can breathe a little easier. We love your feedback, so please be sure to leave us a review. Let us know what you liked. Let us know what you'd like to hear more of. And lastly, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. We are so excited you're here. Again, thanks for listening. Be well and breathe easy. Thank you.